Scripture reading tonight is Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 22. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and was his custom. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because... Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favor, the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not the uh, Joseph's son? Jesus is our great model in how we ought to speak. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 46. In the passage that was just read, when Jesus went to the synagogue and he stood up and he read the scroll, which was a prophecy of Isaiah about himself and about how he was going to heal the brokenhearted and cause the blind to see and how he was going to set at liberty the captives, the Bible says that the people marveled at the gracious words that proceeded from his mouth. Do gracious words come out of your mouth habitually, characteristically? When people listen to us, when they see what we write, whether it be text messages or emails or posting on social media, can it be said of you that you're like Jesus? Can it be said of you that gracious words are what come out of your mouth, are what come out of your heart? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths will speak. But God wants us, make no mistake, to be a people who give gracious words to others. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, that there was no deceit in the mouth of Jesus. When he reviled, he reviled not again. Jesus always said the right thing in the right way to the right people. And Jesus also knew exactly when he needed to be quiet, to be silent. I wish that I were more like Jesus in the way that I spoke. And I suspect if you know much about Jesus at all, you can say the same thing. I wish that my words were more gracious. Let's spend some time this evening studying this thought. Jesus spoke with grace. And the word grace just means blessing. It just means to uplift. It means to convey worth and value and love. Jesus spoke in a way that was gracious. And even when he was saying things that were hard for people to hear, he was saying those things because people's souls were at stake. They were in danger. He spoke graciously and he did so consistently. 
Let's start with a couple of passages to consider together. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 19 and verse 14. This is just by way of introduction, this idea of speaking gracious words. Psalm 19, verse 14. In the Old Testament, the psalmist prayed this prayer, and it's well worth thinking about. It's well worth considering this prayer that the psalmist prayed. In Psalm 19, verse 14, look at what he says. It's a prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. When it comes to our words, are we praying about how we communicate? Are we praying things like this? God, today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Because God sees and he hears what's coming out of our mouths. In that vein, turn to another passage, Matthew 12, verse 36. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 And listen to the words of Jesus, who's going to be our judge at the end of time. Jesus is the great judge of all the earth. And here's what he says in Matthew 12, verse 36. It's a warning. For every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. You see that? So God has perfect information awareness. He knows everything that we say. He knows everything that we think. And he's going to hold us to account for the kinds of words, the kinds of communication that we practice. Two more passages to think about as we introduce this study. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 When it comes to gracious words, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, challenged his brethren in Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, here is what he writes as he speaks to his brethren about what it means to live this new life in Christ, to be bought by the blood of Jesus, and to have our thinking and our actions changed. He says it ought to affect our speech. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, stop right there. The word edification means to build something. It means that you've got a foundation, you've got a clear plot of land, and to edify means I'm going to start building on that. And so what the Bible is saying is when I communicate, it ought to be edifying. What is good for edification, necessary edification, people need that. And then he closes with this thought in verse 29, that it may impart grace, a blessing to the hearers. I don't see any qualifications on that. I don't see a place where it says, this is only for when you're at church and when you're with your brethren. This is only for when you're in public. I don't see any qualifiers on that. This is the way Christians are to speak. No corrupt words edification, imparting grace to the hearers. One more passage. Took a look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. We need to think about these passages more because all of us in our communications, all of us in the way that we speak to each other and about others, 
we could stand to be more like Christ. He changes everything about our lives. He changes everything about the way that we speak. At least he ought to. Colossians 4 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, Let your speech, Christians, always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When I speak, when you speak as a Christian, we ought to think about whether our words are pleasing to God, Psalm 19:14. We ought to think about the fact that we're going to give an account and judgment for how we speak and what we say, Matthew 12:36. We ought to make sure that no corrupt communication is coming out of our mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, Ephesians 4:29, we better make sure that our speech is gracious, that our words are gracious, Colossians 4 verse 6. And it may well be that some of us need to repent and ask God's forgiveness for the way that we've been speaking and the words that have been coming out of our mouths. God knows, God sees. And Jesus is our great example. Two parts to our lesson this evening. What I want us to do is first examine this question. You know, the Bible tells us we're supposed to speak graciously. And the Bible says that we ought to be like Christ in the way that we build up and edify and impart grace to others. If that's true, why is it so hard? That's our first question to answer in this particular study. Why is grace in our speech so often lacking? And I'd just like to give you eight suggestions very briefly this evening. Eight suggestions. Why is it so hard to speak graciously? Why is it so hard when I get on social media to say things, and maybe I even have the best of intentions, but people just take it completely the wrong way? Why is it so difficult when I send an email or a text message to someone to say and to communicate graciously? Why is that so difficult? Eight suggestions for you and me to consider as we examine our own hearts. Suggestion number one. Grace may be lacking in our speech, first of all, because we fail to appreciate the power of our words. We fail to appreciate the power of our words. James 3 verses 5 and 6 likens the tongue to a little fire that kindles a forest fire. Remember? He says your tongue is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. He says that your words are powerful. It's like having a gun that is loaded and you start just shooting randomly. You might hit something good and you might accomplish something worthwhile, but most of the time it's going to do damage. It's going to cause tremendous hurt and heartache. And James is saying in James 3, verses 5 and 6, that every Christian ought to appreciate the power of our words. We sometimes think that words are, you know, talk is cheap. It just doesn't matter that much. The Bible says otherwise. The Bible says that our words can devastate somebody. They can change somebody's faith. They can cause somebody to become discouraged. They can cause tremendous heartache and pain that will never be forgotten. Just a moment's reckless folly, as the song says. We need to watch and consider the power of our words. Why is gracious speech so, so often lacking? Number two, because we don't deal with our anger properly. Because we don't deal with anger properly. We get frustrated, we get irritated. Those of us who work away from home, 
Sometimes we get frustrated and irritated by something that's going on at work. And then what do you do? You get home from work in the afternoon and you go to your family and you start to take out your frustrations on your family. Or maybe you're worried about something else that's going on in your life, some other aspect of your life. And somebody comes up and asks you a question. And instead of dealing properly and biblically and in a healthy way with our anger, we deal with it in a sinful way. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells us, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. When we're angry, we ought to stop and ask ourselves, is my communication right now pleasing to the Lord? When I'm frustrated and irritated, which are, by the way, just forms of anger, frustration and irritation, when that's the case, am I speaking in a way that Jesus would speak? You know, sometimes he was angry. Read Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 sometime. Jesus was angry at people because of the hardness of their hearts and because of their reluctance and blindness to see what he was all about. And yet Jesus, even when he spoke in anger, spoke in a way that was intended to help people come closer to God. Our speech sometimes lacks grace because we don't handle our anger the way Jesus did. Number three, because we are full of jealousy and envy we're jealous or envious of somebody else somebody's got something that I want that's jealousy that's envy somebody's got something that I want and I want to destroy them for it and so I might say something that's slanderous I might say something that calls into question their character or I might say something and just kind of enjoy tearing them down 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 warns us that when we start to compare ourselves to other people, we are not wise. And oftentimes, when we're tearing somebody else down, it's because we are envious of that person. We're jealous of that person. Did you know that envy, as a sin, always seeks to destroy its object? That's what envy does. It always seeks to destroy its object. The Bible says in Matthew 27 verse 18 that Pilate knew that the Jews had handed Jesus over to him because of envy. Did you know that? Matthew 27 18. Why'd they hand Jesus over? Well, they handed him over because he claimed to be the Messiah and he claimed to blaspheme. They thought he blasphemed God and things like that. But the Bible says that Pilate knew they were jealous of him. They were envious of him. That's why they handed him over. Envy always seeks to destroy its object. And so it shouldn't be surprising that oftentimes when we speak ill of others, it's because there's envy and jealousy in our hearts. Number four, why is grace often lacking? Because we're trying to avoid the consequences of our choices. We're trying to avoid the consequences of our choices. You want to know why people lie? Why do people tell lies? We tell lies because we're trying to manage somebody else's impression of us. We're trying to do damage control. We're trying to cover up something that we've chosen to do or failed to do. And we're saying something that's false as a result. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Now that you've become a Christian, Paul says, put away lying and speak the truth with one another. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Because we don't want to deal with the consequences of our choices. Sometimes our speech is not very gracious for that reason. 
Number five, why is grace often lacking? Because we just think too much of ourselves. Romans 12, 3. No one ought to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. We ought to have a proper view of ourselves. When we think too highly of ourselves, when we exalt ourselves, we're going to be very ungracious in the way that we speak to others. We'll talk too much about ourselves. By the way, you know what everybody's favorite subject is? You want to learn the art of conversation? Everybody's favorite subject is themselves. Did you know that? You want to talk to somebody? You want to have a conversation with somebody? The art of conversation really ought to be revived in our society, in my opinion. And one of the ways in which conversation, healthy conversation, uplifting conversation happens is when you genuinely ask the question, tell me about yourself. What's going on in your life? What are some things that interest you? And then you listen with interest and you respond to what other people's interests are. Everybody's favorite subject is themselves. And we're not gracious sometimes because we're so full of ourselves. That's all we want to talk about. Romans 12 verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Next, why is grace often lacking in our speech? Because of what we set before our eyes. The pandemic has allowed Disney Plus and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these different Apple TV types of resources. They are just making content like you can't believe. They are making shows just as fast as they can crank them out. And that's because they want to keep viewers. They want to keep people tuning in and binge watching and and constantly surfing and seeing what's new, what's next, what's going to be good. Psalm 101 verse 3 is well worth Christians thinking about in a time like this. It was worth thinking about eight months ago. It's definitely worth thinking about now. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. That's what it says in Psalm 101 verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Job says in Job 31 verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. And I will not look with lust at another person. Because of what we set before our eyes, because of what we allow our minds to dwell upon, because our minds think about what we see, because that's true, ultimately, out of our hearts proceeds our speech. Again, Jesus says, whatever our hearts are full of is going to come out of our mouths. Luke 6, 45. That principle is inescapable. You may think that nobody knows what you're watching. You may think that nobody knows what you're setting before your eyes. But it won't be long at all before in your actions and in your words, there's a change. Because your heart's full of something that's ungodly. Why is grace often lacking? Number seven. Because we're just in love with this world, the things of this world. Materialism, being in love with stuff and money and things. Jesus said no one can serve two masters, but there are a lot of Christians that try. Matthew 6, verse 24. In 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, the Bible tells us, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. When somebody's got a covetous heart, a materialistic heart, And we love things and we love money and we love 
our treasures, the things that we've accumulated for ourselves, what happens when somebody does something that maybe has an impact? Maybe they break something that belongs to us. Is it easy to have gracious words? Now you've got both your love of money and things and you've got anger at the same time. It's going to be really hard to speak as the oracles of God speak with the grace of Jesus when that's where our hearts are. Number eight, why is grace often lacking? Because of the company we keep. Because of the company we keep. 1 Corinthians 15.33, parents have been quoting this to their children for years. Evil companions corrupt good morals. Did you know that Paul was talking about false teachers when he wrote those words? If you hang out with people that say there's no resurrection of the dead, guess what? You're going to get the idea eventually that there's no resurrection of the dead. That's what he's dealing with in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, be careful who you hang out with because their opinions and ideas are going to influence you. It's also the case with our speech. The people that I choose for my friends, the people that I choose to associate with, and sometimes we don't have a choice, we need to think biblically about how we deal with our companions. And if we start to speak just like everybody else, and if we start to use the kind of language that other people around us during the day use, just because we want to fit in, we want to be part of the group, if that's why we're speaking in an ungodly way, we're still sinning. And our, grace, our, our speech is not gracious. Those are eight reasons, and there might be more that you could add to that list, why grace is often lacking, why we don't speak as graciously as we can. But I want to turn this around in a positive way this evening, and I want us to spend just a few moments thinking about this question. What do gracious words look like? If the people marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of the Lord's mouth, if Jesus spoke like no one else, he always said the right thing and he always told the truth and he always knew exactly what to say and when to say it and how to say it. I wish we had more of that ability, don't you? What do gracious words look like? Five suggestions. And there might be more you could add to this list, but here are five. Number one, gracious words are very close to what the Bible calls the oracles or sayings of God. God has written His Word. We call it the Bible. And the Bible is full of grace and truth. As a matter of fact, it's called the Word of His grace. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. The Word of God's grace. If these words are gracious, shouldn't we bring more of the Bible into our conversations with one another? Wouldn't that be a gracious thing to do? When somebody's hurting, when somebody's discouraged, when somebody is wondering how to, how to make a decision, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we could bring more of God's Word into that conversation? I suspect if you hung around with Jesus for any length of time at all, it wouldn't be long before the Lord would bring up the Bible. What do you think? And when you're talking about the scriptures with people, and I don't mean that we're being preachy or holier than thou or anything like that. I just mean you say, listen, I'm living my life, and, and I think other people ought to do this too, living my life by a certain standard. And have you ever thought about what God's word means when it says this? Have you ever thought about the promise that God makes when he says that? 
gracious words. Speak as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4, verse 11. Secondly, what do gracious words look like? Matthew 7, 12, they look like the golden rule. Whatever you'd have men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets, Jesus said. The golden rule. I ought to stop and ask myself when I'm talking to people, you know, what would I want this person to be asking me about if I were them? What would, I, what would I want to talk about? What would I want said? If this is a conflict that we're in the middle of, how can I speak in a way that's sensitive to how this person feels while still getting the point across and saying what needs to be said? The golden rule. The golden rule will control how we speak to other people. How we speak to other people. And the golden rule will control how we speak about other people. Don't ever say something about another person that you wouldn't be comfortable with them hearing out of your own mouth. It's gracious. It's kind. We ought to be edifying in our speech. We ought to be encouraging in our speech. We ought to be gracious in the way that we speak. Golden rule types of words. Next, number three, what does gracious speech look like? It respects the value of silence. One of these days I'll preach the sermon. It's back there in my files. I've got lots of sermons. Oh, by the way, some of you have asked about ancient words. I know that last week things got thrown into a conundrum. And I'll preach the ancient words sermon, Lord willing, next Sunday night. Okay, so those of you who are asking about it, it'll, it'll come back. All right. Anyway, in my files back there, I've got a sermon about when Jesus was silent. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, over and over and over, Matthew 27, 14 is just one of the many places. It says, he answered him not a word. And Jesus, Jesus says he's being examined by Pilate. Pilate would say, well, don't you hear all the things they're asking or they're saying about you? Don't you hear the kind of things that they're, that they're accusing you of? And Jesus would not respond. I love the fact that Jesus didn't feel like he had to answer every single challenge. If it was a personal affront to him, if it was something that was about his reputation, if it was something that they were just slandering, and people could see the truth if they were looking for it, Jesus didn't feel compelled to answer everybody. There's a time for us as Christians, as we think about our speech, there's a time for us just to recognize that we don't always have to have an opinion and we don't always have to have something to say about every issue. There is value and there is some spiritual good at times in just remaining silent. There just is. Think about these verses. Get your Bibles. Proverbs 10, verse 19. Proverbs 10, verse 19. This is a passage that preachers ought to think about more. Proverbs 10, verse 19. The Proverbs writer says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. 
those of us who talk for a living and we talk constantly to people ought to think a great deal about the value of silence. There's a time to not give an answer and not say everything that comes to mind. That can be an act of gracious love towards someone else. Turn over one chapter. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 13. Think about this. Proverbs 11, verse 13. A talebearer, it says, reveals secrets. But he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. When we've got a faithful spirit, we're able to keep confidences. We're able to conceal that which needs to be concealed. And not say everything that we might know about a given situation or a given problem or the background. And, oh, I've got more to say about this. Gracious words and treating people graciously sometimes means that we just keep quiet. And that's hard to do. Number five or four. What do gracious words look like? Turn to Ephesians 5 verse 4. I have to explain this one. Gracious words provide what I'm going to call uplifting humor. Uplifting humor. Most everybody wants to be funny. Some of us are better at it than others. For various reasons, some of us are better at it than others. But most of us, you know, you want to make other people laugh. You want to be able to say something that's charming or witty or funny or things like that. But think about this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible warns us, you know, it says that there are some things that are not fitting for saints. He starts in verse 3. He says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, my translation says, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. What's he saying there in Ephesians 5, verse 4? Coarse jesting has to do with a kind of humor that is lewd, or that is inappropriate, or that is hurtful, to someone else that is abrasive to someone else and when you stop and think about it some of the things that we think are funny are really just jokes at the expense of someone else we're basically mocking or making fun of another human being another person and oh well that you don't understand john they're taking it good-naturedly and they're they're thinking that this is all funny they're laughing right along with 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 the joke and things like that maybe that's true but can you go backstage in someone else's mind and see everything that your words are doing to them can you understand all that the impact of what you're saying and the joke that you're making has on them and so this idea of foolish talking and coarse jesting, Paul is saying, now that you become a Christian, oh, by the way, Ephesians 5, 4 is very close in your Bible to Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what's good for necessary edification. What I'm getting from the scriptures in this particular chapter in Ephesians 4 and 5 is that if I'm going to exercise humor, if I'm going to try to be witty and funny, and you are too, I better think about whether my humor is gracious in nature. Whether the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm trying to make jokes about and what we're trying to laugh about, if this really is uplifting and edifying to others, or if this is humiliating and demeaning to someone else or hurtful to someone else, we really need to stop and think about how we use humor in our daily lives. Because maybe we're not as much like Jesus in that aspect as we could be. And by the way, I believe Jesus used humor frequently. 
Why do you try to get the splinter out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a big log in your own? I mean, that's, that's funny when you stop and think about it. And I kind of wonder if Jesus picked up a log when he said that in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. You've got a big log in your eye, you're trying to get the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Uplifting humor. The kind that honors God. Number five, what does gracious speech look like? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It is encouraging. Do not be hardened in your hearts, brethren, but rather exhort one another, uplift one another, encourage one another. Encouragement is something that everybody loves. Everybody wants to be encouraged. Doesn't matter who. Doesn't matter how much you think that other person is getting encouraged. I promise you, even if they've been getting encouragement all day long, a steady stream of people have been walking by encouraging them, they would love to hear it from you too. I promise you that. Everybody wants to be encouraged. And gracious speech is exactly that. It's speech that encourages That's what gracious words look like. And you know, James says in James chapter 3 that if we could fix our tongues, if we could bridle our tongues, we'd be able to bridle the whole body as well. He says we're just like a bunch of horses. Wherever the bit goes in the horse's mouth, that's where the horse goes. We're like a bunch of ships. Wherever the rudder turns, that's where the ship goes. And James says that's what we're like. If we could fix our speech, if we could be Christ-like in the way that we speak to others, everything else about our lives would fall into harmony with God and with His will if we could just get a grip on our speech. That's why Jesus says, for every idle word that men may speak, they'll give an account in the day of judgment. That's why the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's why the Bible says, let your speech always be with grace. Because we're a people of grace who serve a God of grace. And we want people to know Him better. Let's speak. And let's text. And let's tweet. As if we really appreciated the power of our words. And as if we really wanted to be like Christ. Thanks for your attention to the lesson this evening. Glad to have John with us this evening. Glad to have all of our college young people back for at least a few days during the Thanksgiving break. And he's done a great job, as he always does, leading singing. We're going to offer Heaven's Invitation and sing a song in just a moment. Do you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins? Do you need to obey the gospel tonight? There's an opportunity right now while we sing this song. All you need to do is make your way down the aisle and make that need known. Or if you need to respond and you just want to ask for prayers and you'd like for us to pray for you, we're happy to do that. Please make your need known while together we stand and sing this song of encouragement.